Welcome to the Vaccination Station. My name is Dave, and today I'm interviewing Vanessa. Welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. I'm Vanessa Gutierrez. I'm a YouTuber, and I live in Colombia. Vanessa, let's start by getting to know you. Can you tell me three things about yourself that you think the audience would find interesting? Well, with the pandemic, I finished my degree in dramatic arts with focus on musical theatre. I finish it online and I'm trying to get a job, <laughs> but it's hard. <laughs> Vanessa, um, what's your experience with vaccines? Were you vaccinated as a child? Yes. And I have all the vaccinations, I guess. So your parents were supportive of vaccines. They felt that was an important thing to do. Exactly. What's the general attitude towards vaccines in Colombian society, do you think? I think, in general opinion, people support vaccines. There are a few others that are kind of sceptical about it, but most of the people agree with vaccination. What are um, some of the diseases, do you think, that vaccines have been particularly useful at, at stopping? Or, or at least reducing? Oh, uh, I, I think the malaria. Like, it's, it's any a Colombian person discovered the vaccine for that. Yeah, it's um, taken a long time, but we finally have a vaccine for malaria. It's only recently been developed, you're right, and it's showing extremely good results. Uh, so we've got good hopes that that will that will finally make it much easier to, to combat. But what about some some other diseases that you uh, you might be less familiar with? What about polio? Have you ever met someone who's had polio? No. No? Okay. Uh, what about smallpox? No. <laughs> no? Okay. What about diphtheria? No. Tuberculosis? No. So... On a day-to-day -day basis, you wouldn't really experience too many people who've had a vaccine-preventable disease? No. Well, for cancer, like, yeah, there's a vaccination for some type of cancer. Yeah, the HPV vaccine protects against a wide range of, of cancers, mainly uh, cervical cancer. So that's been an extremely important one. And studies have shown that it has massively reduced the incidence of cervical cancers and some other related cancers in mm -hmm. uh, adult populations. So that has been extremely effective. The reason I asked about smallpox is because that is one disease that's been completely eliminated from the planet by vaccines. That was declared eliminated in around, uh, I think, 1977. And uh, the last documented case was in the 70s. And then it was finally officially declared eradicated in 1982. And that is something that had never been achieved before, the eradication of an entire virus by vaccination. And smallpox had been around for you know thousands of years. And 
humans had been at the mercy of it for for all that time and vaccination managed to stop it within i don't know uh within about 10 generations i think maybe less than that so that's a real uh testament to the power of vaccination to stop viruses in their tracks and actually make uh life better for everyone um, the reason I asked about polio, of course, is that's another one that's been mostly eradicated from from most countries. It still crops up in some developing countries where they've got um, problems with vaccine hesitancy and problems with resources and getting vaccines to people who need them. But in the vast majority of countries around the world, most people today, most young people today, wouldn't know someone who's even caught polio because it just hasn't been an, an issue. Um, I have a friend who has who has polio and, and his legs were permanently damaged by it, but he's Italian and he belongs to an, a much older generation that um, <clears throat> was around when, you know, before the, the vaccine was developed and then made more widely available. So whenever I think of, of the, the power of vaccines, I just think back to my friend Mario and, and say, look, you know, this is this is what happened in the days when we didn't have these vaccines, and it's a, a pretty sobering reality. So, with regard to vaccines, what do you know about how vaccines work? I know that they put part of the disease so the body can fight the like the virus. Yeah, that that's basically it. And there's two main ways to do this. They will take part of the virus that's still alive and they will put it in the vaccine. And that's called a live vaccine because it's got a piece of live virus in it. And then the body encounters that and quickly overwhelms it and learns how to how to fight it. And then there's other vaccines, which are inactivated vaccines, vaccines which don't have any live component whatsoever. And they just have a, a bit of the virus so that there's enough of it for the body to recognize. And then the um, the body takes care of it and is permanently trained to fight it when it sees it again. And it's a very efficient way of making sure that the body is trained to fight off a virus without having to actually be infected by it and suffer all the consequences of, of that. But more recently, to battle the, the COVID pandemic, we've seen the emergence of a new type of, of vaccine, the mRNA vaccine. Do you, do you know anything about those? No. Okay, well, the mRNA vaccine is based on a very specific type of gene technology. It's based on part of our, our cell factory called mRNA, and that's messenger RNA that gives the body instructions about how to make things. So the, the mRNA vaccine contains the instructions on how to make the little protein, but the protein part of the virus that causes the infection. And so it, it sends that information to the cells and then the cells make that protein, but because that protein doesn't have any infecting ability, it can't actually infect the host and, and damage them. But all it does, it, it just, it's basically like showing a blueprint of the virus to the immune system and the immune system goes, okay, so I know that I have to fight that thing when I see it again. And it trains the immune system to do that. And then that little protein just breaks down harmlessly and the body doesn't have to worry about it anymore. So it's actually a way of training the immune system to resist a virus without even introducing the actual virus or even a part of the virus. It's just basically like a photocopy of the virus. 
Wow. So that is really, really sophisticated technology. And um, I know. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. And it's only been possible because we now understand how these different parts of the cell and immune system talk to each other. That's a very exciting technology and opens up the possibility of using that same technology against other diseases that uh, that we're working on over time. Moving on to the pandemic, how has it affected Colombia? Well, it has affected a lot of small business, especially because we quarantined, they had to close them. And people in general had to change their schedules. Like there's more, there are more online jobs, but a lot of people lost their jobs. And I, I, I finished college, so I, like it was the worst moment because not jobs at all. <laughs> and I guess a lot of people was in the same situation as me. What measures has the government taken against the pandemic? Um. Well, the quarantine, like they put curfews, like right now, we're in a curfew. Um, what else? Um, social distancing, like it's mandatory to wear masks. Is mask wearing mandatory everywhere or only in everywhere. certain places? Everywhere. And they put something called which means that it depends on the number of our our id so we can go outside certain days have they shut schools at all or have they kept the schools uh, yeah up? yeah schools are um virtually the same as college like right now they're like kind of um changing that again that they're starting to open up a bit yeah some days they go to school but other days they stay at home virtually what are the times for the curfew then? Well, it it has changed a lot. Like until last month, it was from eight pm to four am, but right now it's from eleven pm to four am, and sometimes on weekends, the whole weekend we have curfew. Sometimes not. Kind of changes. What's the current state of the pandemic in Colombia? What what sort of case numbers and and fatality numbers are you seeing over well, there? Well, I actually don't know. I used to watch a lot of news about that, but I got anxiety, like really I was depressed, like I'm gonna die. So I prefer not to know exactly numbers, but I know right now a lot of people like are dying because with them with them protest like there are more cases so the the hospitals are full how is colombia's healthcare system coping with the strain of the cases produced by the pandemic colombia wasn't prepared to face a pandemic like uh, they they are trying to do their best, but like we don't have the facilities that, for example, Spain had, and they had a lot of problems because of COVID cases. So imagine us. Colombia has started rolling out the vaccine for COVID-19. Do you know where they source their vaccines from and which, which vaccines they are using? They're using Pfizer. Mm, they're using Arsenica, I think. AstraZeneca. 
Exactly. Yeah, that, <laughs> sorry. As far as I know those two, because they chose not to use uh, Johnson & Johnson because I'm so on defect. Yeah, there was a uh, there was a concern about uh, possible reactions with the Johnson Johnson vaccine, and the rollout for that vaccine was temporarily paused in the US while they a they assessed the evidence, and it's been restarted because they've concluded that the the vaccine is is safe after all. Australia has also bought the AstraZeneca and and Pfizer vaccines. And what we've, uh, what our government has done is recommended AstraZeneca for over 50 and, and the Pfizer for under 50. So I will be getting the, the Pfizer when my turn oh. rolls up. I guess around, um, here, um, like they use Pfizer for the medical care, uh, but, and they use it that first, but right now they don't have as much as that one. So they're gonna use AstraZeneca. How do you think the public perception of of the um, of the pandemic has has changed over time in Colombia? What was the initial reaction to the pandemic when it when it first? <laughs> At the beginning, people were like, oh, "This is the end of the world." They were buying a lot of toilet papers. I don't know why. <laughs> it's crazy. Like they respected a lot. They first quarantine like nobody was outside it was kind of scary and then people got got tired so they're not respecting it anymore even though like i know some people who have family members who die or got the coronavirus but they don't care anymore yeah, there's been a, a similar situation across the world i think the initial shock is you know we don't because it's a new virus we don't know how it, it's going to affect us we don't know how quickly it will spread we don't know if it survives on surfaces for a while so in the initial months it was very confusing and worrying and, and everyone was a bit paranoid about what you could and couldn't do and advice varied and advice from professionals changed as they acquired more information about the virus and then, as you say, people started to get annoyed and, and bored with the, the restrictions and got tired of it. And they also came to realize that toilet paper doesn't actually help against the virus. <laughs> so they stopped buying all the toilet paper. That way, that happened in Australia as well. I, I remember for a week, it was like, just why toilet paper? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I would have bought food. <laughs> Yeah, um, toilet paper and soup and noodles and other things like that, people were buying up. Um, Maybe they thought they would have to be stuck in their houses for a long time. I, I don't know. It was all a bit ridiculous. I know. And and then, you know, then depending on where you live, various countries sort of either got used to it or continued to sort of fight against it. In Australia, we settled down to sort of, you know, the getting used to it and let's just get on with it kind of thing. So we've had periodic lockdowns of cities and lockdowns of states. We've had uh, states closing their borders against each other when they need to, to stop further outbreaks. And it's been really tight and restrictive, but it has worked and it's kept our case numbers low and our fatalities low while we waited for the vaccine. So our government pursued an elimination strategy, which was try to eliminate the spread of the virus as much as possible while a vaccine is developed and then we'll be in a better position to open up more. 
further down the track and life is almost entirely back to normal now in in australia even though we've just started our vaccine rollout with the exception of course of our um of our periodic lockdowns on an as-needed basis and the international travel ban mask mandates have varied across the country they've been implemented at a city and a state level on an as-needed basis there's been no mask main mandate in my state here, South Australia. Uh, so that wasn't something we, we never really did. You do need to visit or to wear a mask if you're visiting a testing station. I've been tested a couple of times. So that's one place you definitely have to wear a mask. And some chemists have required you to enter a mask when you go into, you know, to, to buy medication and stuff. Uh, but that's understandable because they get a lot of sick people coming through. And of course, the hospitals are a lot stricter about masks at the moment. But for day-to-day life, you know, you don't normally need a mask. The government also kept schools open. All our schools were kept open. The private really? primary schools, secondary schools, and, and the universities have all been kept open. So, and that sort of, I know that is a very controversial issue. Different countries have chosen to go down different paths with that. They've closed some or all schools or only primary schools and secondary schools, but not universities or whatever. All of us have been kept open. Uh, the first reason was that the government decided that closing them would create too great a strain on social services and and on families because that that would just be too difficult to try and juggle jobs and looking after kids on a day-to-day basis it might potentially also overload the private childcare system and also the government concluded that the risk of infection from children um, and and to children was much less so they were not considered a um an at-threat population so that's what we've done and that has actually worked that's worked for us that's been very that's very good we haven't had any problems there. I know in some countries like America where they have closed schools, uh, it has been a very different story and they're facing a lot of problems, economic problems, social problems as a result of that. So, yeah, different countries have taken different approaches and I think we we did the right thing. But I can I appreciate that it does vary depending on which country you're in and and what, uh, what the case numbers are showing. So... For your family then, how how has it affected your family personally in terms of work and and day-to-day life? Well, I live with my mother, so she sells bananas. Yeah. So for her, it was restricted, but she could still work because that was necessary food. So, but it's been hard, the sales have been hard. Sometimes they're too expensive to buy and you have to sell it like even more expensive. And like right now with the <laughs> with all the strikes that have been happening here. So it's even worse than the pandemic per se. And we also have um, some properties. So we rent them to a small business. So they have to close. So that affects us. Yeah, bananas aren't really a thing you could just start selling on eBay, are they? You can't just say, oh, I'll just shift my business online. You you either sell bananas out out in public or you don't yeah, sell them at all. Exactly. No one 
no one wants to pay for bananas in the post. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what about what about the city where where you live? What's the the general feeling there? How are people feeling about the measures that the government has taken? Do people think that the government's approach has been successful or not terribly good? Or what, what's the, the general attitude there? Well, like right now, people hate the government. They hate it. Like, like Hitler. <laughs> like it's a dictatorship. They think that. And I think like they, at the beginning, they put so many drastic decisions. Like they closed everything, everything at all, which in, causes a lot of bad consequences like people break out like they're so tired but like the government thought that to increase the economy they put days without taxes like you can buy things without taxes but a lot of people went outside a lot so as a consequence more cases of coronavirus it's like a full cycle you know what do you think the government's long-term plan is? I mean, obviously they've they've started the vaccine rollout, um, but what kind of support has been offered to people whose lives and whose businesses and whose jobs have been affected by the pandemic and the shutdown measures? Has there been some extra um, government assistance paid to people, for example? <laughs> That's one of the main reasons of the protest. Like, they wanted to make everything harder, <laughs> like with the taxes. So to have the small businesses is it going to be harder. Yeah, I think, I, I know they offer some help for the um, low class, you know, like the really uh, low class, but in terms of uh, small businesses like they're trying to let them open like normally right now but with the process there, are, there has been a lot of bad dalism so it hasn't helped and as a, a matter of fact we know that the government spent a lot of money with the pandemic a lot and not just with the healthcare, but with guns weapons i don't know why but right now the country is in a really difficult situation because they need money so that's why they they were planning to make us pay more taxes so kind of hard i don't know what they're gonna do what are families doing then if they can't send their children to school and oh, some of them freaking out work what's happening like we them. Well, they're working online so they can have their children and, and keep an eye on them. But the poor children are freaking out because like they have been social distancing and at that age when they're so little, I think that's horrible. Like you need to socialize with kids, play. And I I am a friend of a psychologist and she has a kid. He's eight years old, if I'm not wrong. And he's she says that he's been really depressed and like very anxious. So I think that's really sad. The unemployment situation must be pretty severe then if, if a yeah. lot of people have yeah. lost their jobs and not much financial support has been offered. In Australia, the government offered 
some pretty robust support, financial support to small and big businesses and also to families and unemployed people and people who've lost their jobs as a result of the pandemic. So there's been a lot of financial support here. So our economy hasn't been hit so badly. Our unemployment rate has gone up a bit and our economy has slowed down, but we are still in a strong financial position. Um, we haven't had a recession in this country since the mid-1990s, so we're still continuing our, our growth streak. So we've gone, yeah, uh, almost 30 years without a recession, which is a pretty good yeah. record. And the pandemic came came close to pushing us into recession, but not quite because the government unloaded a, a lot of money. But uh, I think in the next two years, we're going to start to see a bit more of the fallout, some adjustments to the to various industries, to the way people work, adjustments to, say, uh, industrial relations legislation to address some of the fallout from people who've lost jobs and, and feel that they either didn't get compensation or didn't get enough compensation. And it's going to change the nature of the workplace for a lot of people. It has placed a lot of stress on people who have a physical shop front rather than people who, who do their work online. It has pushed a lot of businesses to use online services. A lot of restaurants started doing you know, ordering online and, and offering takeaway stuff. Yeah. So businesses like Uber and Uber Eats have really seen a big boom. Yeah. And yeah some businesses haven't been able to transition very rapidly to that. And that's been very, very damaging for them. But overall, we're in a pretty good position. It has meant the government has had to take on a lot of extra debt to actually, because they've needed to borrow money to, um, to support this. But, you know, at the moment we're we're in a place where we can manage that amount of debt. So we, we should be okay. But in countries like Colombia, where you have the added complication of political unrest and social unrest uh, i can appreciate that the situation is a lot more murky and it's more difficult to know what's going to happen over the next 18 months yeah i think it's going to be worse <laughs> so god help me <laughs> has the colombian government given any sort of timeline about you know a return to some kind of normality uh, have they said we we hope to have the vaccination finished by such and such a date schools will be reopening at such and such a time for for example in in australia the the government has told us that uh, you know international flights should be reopened by such and such a time i can't remember what it is i think international flights should be reopened by the end of this year or early next year something like that do you have any kind of timeline from the government as to when new changes will take place and, and new goals will be reached? Well, as far as international flight, we can we can go as far as the other country accept us. Like there are a lot of people who are traveling to the US to get vaccinated. Really. So um with schools and stuff, it depends on the mayor of the city. Like in Bogota the mayor said like next month they're gonna return to school, children, universities, normal. But it depends on the protests. 
uh yeah and the vaccination plan like i think they say that by the end of this year but <laughs> with the protest we don't know <laughs> so what's your what's your feeling then about the way that the government has handled the pandemic so far um are there are there parts of the of, of the approach where you'd say oh they did this really well or you know some other parts you say they didn't do that terribly well what do you think the government has got right i think like colombia wasn't prepared for a pandemic people were not prepared for a pandemic so every measure that the government has made like at least at the beginning of the pandemic i think was necessary but people were not prepared for that so they make the government the bad guy you know so people are not pretty patient here at all do you feel that the government made the right decision to close down schools and universities yes because well at least in some careers like in case of college but with kids yes because like the cases were increasing a lot at the beginning so i i don't think children can like understand the like gravity of the situation so they're not gonna keep social distancing and if the parents are working they're gonna spread the virus to kids and it's gonna be a full circle i think at the beginning it was necessary but it gets to a point that it's been a year so <laughs> Do you feel that the, I mean, even allowing for the fact that, yes, governments have had to change their approach throughout the last 12 months, 18 months, as the pandemic has evolved and as conditions have changed, do you feel that the government's response in your country has been relatively consistent or do you, do you think they've just made some abrupt changes without communicating those very well or or maybe made some hasty decisions or do you, do you feel that there just hasn't been a lot of consistency overall oh well as i said at the beginning they closed everything but they realized that people can live that way but i think it's been harder for small businesses and i think it's not fair because a lot of people are not respecting rules and the ones who are suffering are the ones who are trying to respect that so I think that's been really unfair. When the government first started locking down, what reason did they give for keeping international borders open? Well, at the beginning, they closed everything. Like, um, but around a point, I don't even know when they opened frontiers, like what, six months later, if I'm not wrong. <laughs> That, that seems a very um, unusual decision because if you're going so far as to lock down schools and universities, I don't understand why you would then keep borders open. Me neither. And <laughs> um, at, at a time when, you know, other countries around you are also struggling and there's no, you know, there's no clear timeline as to how soon you'll be able to get out of the pandemic I mean, Australia is an island, and even we closed our our borders to make sure that we didn't multiply in infections by by allowing people in who who could potentially be carriers. So, 
uh, and we in, we implement, implemented a a quarantine system as well for for people returning from from overseas. Now that hasn't been managed very well. It's been okay. It could have been a lot better, and it it does need to be more consistent. But at least we had something. I, I'm just surprised that uh, the Colombian government, after saying we need to shut down schools, also concluded actually we need to keep the borders open as well so people can keep coming and going that that seems a, a bit of a weird decision yeah to me. i know like nobody understands but i know at the beginning they use um they open like the national flights and they try to notice what happened with that and then eventually they open frontiers yeah in australia as i said we've we've even had states shut their own borders against each other from time to time to to make sure that we don't spread new outbreaks um which uh, brings you me know what's to funny like even though we we didn't have flights at the beginning like the cities were open people could travel to towns and that's what happened in a big city people were tired so they left town like they left the city to go to small towns and they spread the disease and there were really small towns who were we didn't even have a proper medical care so a lot of people die a lot of people got in, like infected mm-hmm. yes yeah, horrible so um this brings me to uh, another aspect of it because the government seems to in colombia seems to have been driven by various political reasons rather than medical reasons do they have a, a medical spokesperson who's sort of who's been giving regular updates on what the government is doing and explaining to the people why they're doing what they're doing is there no. a plenty of clarity or transparency around what's happening the problem is that like the me um, massive channels that we have here are controlled by some people from the government so the information is not not actually quite accurate, you know. So there's a, a strong distrust of government information because you, you feel yeah. that it's not going to be accurate and it's difficult for you then to know exactly what stage the country is in because you have little access to accurate information. What about overseas sources like international uh, internationally available sources like America's PBS or the uh, the British BBC. Are you able to get inf good information from overseas sources? Are, are people turning to those sources to find out more about what's going on? The problem is like not a lot of people speak English here, not at all. So like they <laughs> they don't understand. So they really go to the massive channels to know information. Or right now, social media. Yeah, social media is an interesting one because social media is the place where a lot of misinformation has been circulating, not just about the pandemic, but about vaccines in general. So it's probably fair to say that in the middle of a pandemic, social media is arguably the worst place you could go to to get information yeah. because, yeah, because completely... people were paranoid. Yeah, that's it. It's it's completely open. It's poorly regulated. Anyone can say anything and stuff spreads <laughs> very quickly. So if people are getting a lot of their information from social media because they feel they can't trust the government and they can't get information from overseas sources because they don't speak the language, 
they're going to be funneled towards just another type of misinformation, the type that circulates on social media. So they're not going to be any better off. Do you think there's a much of a realisation of, of that among Colombians? Do you think that people recognise the danger of social media widely and say, well, we do need to be careful about what we're reading on social media. We need to be careful about what we're sharing. We need to sort of check some of this stuff before we share it. Do you think there's much of an awareness of those dangers? I think some people are aware of that, but like right now people are feeling like the government, the worst like they can trust it at all so they trust in social media more which is really concerning you know but like for example i know the information about the medical care here because of my sister and my brother-in-law works in the icu so like we know firsthand that what's happening but most people don't yeah, people tend to trust their close friends and associates. And of course, they mingle with them regularly on social media. So if one person gets some bad information and just accepts it uncritically, they can quickly spread that to a small yeah. group of people. And then that spreads wider throughout the social network. And everyone trusts it because it comes from someone they trust and they feel that they don't have a reason to dig any further and check whether or not it's accurate. And of course, this is how social media perpetuates misinformation. And of course, because social media's algorithms are geared towards showing you the content that it's figured out you're interested in, it will just keep showing you more and more of this stuff because it goes, oh, okay, this is what you want to see. This is what you want to see. Whereas, of course, what you need to see is less of that and more accurate information. But the algorithm has decided you don't want to see that, so it doesn't bother prioritizing that for you. So it's another of these vicious cycles. I know. Do you feel that the Colombian government has done much to combat misinformation about the pandemic and about, say, any misinformation that might be spreading about the COVID-19 vaccine? Do you, have you heard any misinformation going around about the, oh, the, the yeah, COVID vaccines? Yeah, <laughs> oh, Well, at the beginning, they said, like, the of course the vaccination could kill you or what that is gonna make you infertile i don't know why <laughs> and how have your uh your brother and sister felt about this they're both medical professionals they're working on the front lines they're dealing with the effects of this pandemic on a daily basis they're the ones who are in the best in the best position to know how things are going. They understand the importance of vaccination. They understand that the vaccines are safe and effective. How is this affecting them? What kind of stress is on them at the moment? And how have they been coping with that? Oh, I feel so bad for, for them, you know? Like, uh, for example, my brother-in-law, like, at the beginning, he was so anxious. Like, sometimes we... we wanted to go to my sister's house to know she was well but he freaked out he was like get the hell away from here don't you see that people die <laughs> like he was pretty maniac and i was like dude no no like we we're social distancing like we're not hugging we're just talking five feet apart <laughs> but yeah poor guy then the situation got better, so he calmed down and he realized that we need to socialize because like this is not gonna finish anytime soon. So like we have to be careful. 
but then he freaks out he gets mad he's like people are mad are idiots and as medical professionals what kind of um what kind of workload are they facing at the moment oh, they work a lot like i don't even know when they are in their houses like it's really hard like right now i'm glad i didn't study that do you know of any groups uh, say non-government groups just say local community groups that provide good information good accurate information about vaccines and and the pandemic in in colombia that that work hard to increase people's knowledge and and refute the misinformation going around some some you know basic um maybe a a vaccine information page like mine or a a small non-government group maybe that goes to different schools and provides children with some some information and maybe some booklets or, or talks about vaccination and, and diseases and this kind of thing do you uh, do you know of any not at all as far as i know the only one who's putting what's like announcements news the government no one else so the main the main again the main voice is the government which nobody trusts anyway yeah and, and but there is one doctor that is pretty famous here kind of a celebrity and people go to his live stream so he answers questions so it's kind of an influencer but he's a doctor oh, what's his name camilo prieto okay and is he is he on youtube or, or tiktok or um, instagram or something facebook my mom watches him his live streams on facebook <laughs> And and you think he's a good, reliable source of of information? At least people trust him because he's a doctor. Yeah. So it seems to me that you've got a, a bit of a problem there. Then there's there's not enough sort of grassroots um, pushback against vaccine misinformation and pandemic misinformation. Um, here in Australia, we've got lots of different groups. Some of them created by parents of children who've died from vaccine preventable diseases who've said i want to make sure this doesn't happen to another child i'm going to start a charitable foundation that helps to spread good information about vaccines helps to provide education on communicable diseases and this kind of thing and we've got quite of a few of those and i know there's plenty in the uk and canada and the us and other parts of the english speaking world but if you don't have that kind of thing in colombia I can see why people are sort of at the mercy of nonsense from social media, worried because they don't feel they can trust the government and they're not sort of sure where else they can turn. What about alternative and and traditional medicine? Is there much of a tradition of of alternative medicine in Colombia? Have people turned to that as the pandemic has kicked up a notch? I don't know in the pandemic. Like we I can speak for my family. Sometimes when we go to traditional medical care and like they don't find a solution we go to alternative medical care so i don't know how they're dealing with covid right now like i'd be lying if i say something because i i don't know because in in some countries um certainly in in some parts of africa and and uh, and even in some parts of uh eastern europe people are turning to traditional medicine or folk remedies 
um, for various reasons, mostly you no know, because of tradition or because they they've got distrust of the formal medical system, this kind of thing. And there's even been cases in uh, some of the African countries where they've been advised to do that by by government authorities, which is incredibly irresponsible where they've said you know in tanzania for example people were told you don't need a vaccine traditional medicine can can solve this pandemic and this kind of thing um and there's been a lot of people whose distrust of the medical system has led them to turn towards alternative remedies or traditional medicine that doesn't actually do anything but at least in their minds makes them feel better and yet unfortunately of course because it doesn't have a practical benefit it's not doing anything to stop the pandemic and potentially simply making it worse what kind of uh what kind of tradition do you have in in the in in the way of um traditional medicine in in colombia what's what's the the history of traditional medicine in in colombia as far as you're aware well my originally my family is from towns you know and like they have a lot of alternative medicine like uh, if you have a bruise use potatoes <laughs> yeah <laughs> and put it on the wood yeah it's crazy <laughs> i don't know <laughs> your, your mother like, should start telling people that bananas cure bruises <laughs> 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 oh my god yeah, funny, quite funny. Like I don't pay so much attention to it because I think it's really crazy. Like what? Oh, hollow <laughs> potatoes. But yeah. <laughs> so, so given that there is a lot, lot of that around, do you th- do you think that people have been turning to that more often with the the distrust of government and 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 you know formal medical structures, or is it pretty much they've been using it just as those, as they always have, and you know. It, it hasn't actually gone up much because people were already doing already doing it anyway. As far as I know, like for young people right now, they don't care. They don't care. They don't take care of themselves. They think they're invincible. And if they don't have a close family member who had COVID and they don't know how serious the disease is, like, of course, uh, a lot of people can recover for that, but a lot of people die, and in a painful way. Like my sister told me how they die, and it's bloody painful. Yeah, and of course, even the people who don't die, the people who recover, many people suffer from permanent side effects of the disease. Yeah. Sometimes after that, damage, um, and if my sister and my brother-in-law had COVID, eventually. And I had to go test it because, <laughs> but I haven't had COVID. So, what do you feel about the people who say, "Oh, but it has a ninety-nine percent survival rate, or a ninety-eight percent survival rate, or, or or whatever"? So we don't have to worry about it because you know, if you get it, you'll feel sick for a while, but then you'll recover and you won't die. Ninety-eight percent of people don't die, so it's it's not much of a big deal. It's all been overhyped. How do you how do you feel about that? And and how would you respond to someone who, who said that? I will be, you're an idiot. <laughs> and I will tell them like how people really die of it. Like it's not something to joke around. Like it's pretty serious. 
Like you don't know how it's gonna affect you because it depends on every immune system, you know? For some people it's not that hard, for others it's really painful and it's really hard to recover from it. So like, you don't even know how it's gonna happen to you. What would you like to see the government doing about this pandemic that they're not doing right now? I I don't know. Like right now, a lot of things are happening here in a country. Like I don't even know how they can start because if they don't fix the political problems, people are going to keep protesting. So they're going to keep exposing themselves to the virus. So the, the vaccination is gonna not going to work because um, they, I think at the beginning, they they made a mistake because they didn't negotiate the vaccines. They were expecting that the donation from other countries, like I think USA is gonna donate um, to Colombia some vaccines. And it's like, dude, you should have thought that before, negotiate that first, because we're getting, Really, like, like I said, um, Pfizer is, we're not gonna get Pfizer. At least I'm not gonna get vaccinated uh, with Pfizer because it's done. And I, I don't know if it's right or wrong because, like, right now we don't even know what's true here. But up here, with the first dosis with Pfizer, the first dosis, a lot of people got vaccinated, but it took them at least two months or more to get the second doses. So I don't know if that affects the effectivity of the vaccine. I think with the Pfizer dose, well, with with doses of most of them, you, you're you supposed to get your second dose within 28 days. Yeah, I know and that with, didn't um, happen here because we didn't have vaccines. So there's been a lot of people left with only one dose and they're still waiting to get their second even after 28 days. Yes. A lot of people. Wow. And that's because what the government simply didn't have enough in the first place? Yes. Or they had yes. problems with distribution or a bit of both, maybe? A bit of both. What would you like to see in the future in terms of public information campaigns about vaccines and about the dangers of pandemics and responses to pandemics? and and uh, how do you think public information, public knowledge of the importance of vaccination and the the potential dangers of pandemics could be improved? What kind of, of measures do you think the government and maybe non-government organisations could be taking to address this? Like, I think it should be like what you told me is happening in Australia. Like, there are small organisations that are spreading the information. Like, oh, maybe there are, but they don't have the publicity or the money for the publicity for people to get to know that there are organizations trying to do that. I think influencers have a big role in that. Like, if you have a lot of followers from Colombia, you have the power to, okay, I'm going to do some research and I'm going to tell, like, proper information because I know people trust me. Yeah, that's a very good point because... If you are a powerful influencer, if you do have, say, you know, several hundred thousand subscribers, you are in a position to 
share information, vital information to people who already trust you, who will be happy to listen to what you say, and who will be equally happy to share that with people that they know and, and who trust them. So if people are going on social media, and it's one of the reasons I went on social media, because I knew that was a good place to be to share information about the vaccines, because I know it's a place where people go. And if you are an influencer with a decent sized audience, I do feel that you have a responsibility to make sure the information you're sharing is correct, and maybe even to reach out to organisations that are sharing this information and help to boost their signal by sharing their content and saying, look, how can I help to promote what you are what you are doing? I have an audience of 200,000 followers or subscribers or all these people listen to me and I'll quite happily share your content to help you know, make sure it reaches enough people and people will listen to it because it, it comes from me where they might not listen to it if it came from another source. I think there's definitely a huge, there's the huge potential for good to come from that. If more influencers started to get behind that. Do you have many influencers in, in Colombia um, on, on social media? I guess so. <laughs> Now, yes, they are, but they're focusing on music, pranks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I haven't heard them talking about the situation, like, no, properly. Like, they just give an opinion and they move on. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons I wanted to interview a few people from YouTube to sort of find out what's going on there. So the first person, the first YouTuber I interviewed was a guy called uh, Jeff Holliday, who has a very good channel debunking anti-science views and anti-vaccine views. And he has a, a very big channel and he uh, shares excellent information and does a great job of supporting Provax position and refuting alternative medicine claims and other forms of, of pseudoscience. And if we could get more people like that, say on Instagram or, or TikTok, where I know some medical professionals are starting to to push back and and to uh, spread good information, I think that has the potential to do a great deal of good. And it would be exciting to see more young people getting involved with that because, of course, they're the, the main audience and the main drivers of um, you know of viral content. So I, I think that would be extremely helpful. And certainly it would help to um, address the problem of of people not being able to find good information in their own language because they would have, you know, they would have their own local influencers sharing this content in their own language and it would be coming from people they trust. So I, I do think there's huge potential for that to happen and it's starting to happen, but it would be great to see it, it a bit more organised and a bit more widespread, in, especially in... Uh, the non-English speaking world, which mm -hmm. I, th I think there's clearly a, a great need for it. Yes. Well, Vanessa, thank you very much for spending this time with me. I have really appreciated our conversation and thank you for your insights into the situation in Colombia, both with regard to uh, the pandemic in general and also the ongoing political situation. I hope you stay safe, take great care, and Thank you. Um, I hope the situation in Colombia calms down a bit and I wish you all the best with the pandemic. <laughs>